it's like work is a Walmart discount bin. It's you're going to find a bunch of shit in there and you like people who end up sleeping with someone at work. It's like, hey, I found the best thing in the bin. But sweetie, you were looking <laughs> you were looking through the bin to begin with. Hola, mi amigos. Uh, ¿Cómo estás? Welcome to another episode of Millennial Yells at Cloud, the episode dedicated to um, the world's most maligned generation. Trademark? Millennials. And well, millennials. Mal- oh, my God. This is why I love having a writer on here. <laughs> millennials. <laughs> um, I'm your host, uh, Anton, and today I am very, very thrilled, excited, elated, and popped. I have pop filters, that's why I can pop now. Um, to have with me a special friend, guest, writer, activist, and soon to be some kind of queer award winner, Travis Myers. Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, you can get closer to the mic. Oh, I'll get nice and close here. Get nice and close, yeah. That. yeah well, can you hear my pops? And- yeah, I can hear your pop sounds now. Um, you were doing really well during our test, and the, the, the waves were the waves were popping. They were going up and down. Now you are very quiet, and that's very unlike you. Um, I don't know why it would be like me. I'm a very loud person. I'm super boisterous. I like to take control of conversations. I have no no expertise or knowledge on. So that's what we're here to do. That's the yeah, whole point of this podcast. Exactly, is to have conversations we have no expertise or knowledge on. Listen to me about what are we talking about? About we will. Oh, we will come to that. We will come to that, child. Um, I'm excited to have you here. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do besides my little fun intro for you? Well, a fun fact for anyone who uh, doesn't know Anton's day job when he's not podcasting, but Anton and I were once partners, um, not in a romantic sense, but in a creative sense. But maybe in a romantic sense. Who knows? Yeah, the, we, the day is still young. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hear if we can uh, capture any of those pop sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> um, but uh, I am an associate creative director. Um, I am a copywriter by trade. So I work in the world of advertising and PR. Love it. And well, Travis and I worked together for, well, we worked together before. And yeah. then we worked together as partners as well for like a year and a half. And before that, we worked together at uh, an old agency for, I want to say, Two it no longer years? exists. Yeah, I think you can say the name of it because it doesn't exist. JWT. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Ste- Steph was here. Steph was on here. If you, um, or she was just like JWT. This was she like naming names of the C-suite? <laughs> we had no. We had yeah. We had we named JWT. Then we called out Ryan Spellacy. Well, we didn't call out. We gave him a shout out. Okay, that's a, there's a big difference between. <laughs> yeah, she called him out. <laughs> so she shouted him out because he's she, a nice guy. <laughs> she shouted him out. We gave him a little shout out for being an honorary white member of the Black Women's Association. Remember wow. That? Okay. So, Travis, um, this podcast is called Millennial Yells at Cloud, and we want we like to start every episode with asking how you identify. Do you identify as a millennial? And if you do, in what ways? Like, what's the most millennial thing about you? I think I primarily identify as a sufferer. And then when someone drills a little bit deeper down and say, why, well, why are you suffering? It's because I'm a millennial. So, Preach. yeah, I'm a sufferer first, millennial second, but... Um, yeah, I was born in the, the year of our Lord, 1988. So I think that puts me That's hard smack millennial. dab in the middle, yeah. right? Hard millennial, yeah. yeah. 
That's I'm yeah, and I think that's a really great thing. Suffering is the hallmark of being a millennial. Suffering and not being able to afford houses mm -hmm. and housing. So I or think groceries. Oh, groceries. <laughs> oh, frankly, anything really, if you think about it. Right, but like uh, you know, the the boomer thing of like we do all have um, AirPod Pros. Um, I, uh, I, I bought some new sneakers last week, you know, so like those like mid range, like middle-class luxury purchases, I think we're all doing quite well on, but those foundational elements of, uh, of, you know, an adult life still out of grasp for whatever reason. This is true. I feel like we're all walking around in the dark, trying to reach for something. And that something is, you know, an apartment that doesn't cost $3,000 and maybe generational wealth. But we're not finding that, sadly. Unless there's anyone listening who um, is, you know, currently on life support, looking for a husband, uh, <laughs> and has an end-of-life plan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, any boomers who are at the end of their rope, um, life-wise, not uh, sanity-wise, please reach out. You will find the information in our show notes. Okay, cool. I think that was a really great answer. A sufferer. A sufferer. I might have to put that in the description of the podcast. So, Travis, the first thing I'd love to know is what's your biggest pet peeve? Um, my biggest pet peeve has to be, I, well, again, it's like the answer to, um, you know, how, how do you identify? I think first and foremost, like that quote, hell is other people, um, <laughs> that you could just tattoo that on my forehead. Like that's something that I firmly believe. This is true. As someone who knows you, I can, I can attest to that. Any, like any mild interaction with another person, it's about two hours worth of conversation. Like this, some lady looked at me on the subway and like, here we go. <laughs> this um, is such an inconvenience for me. <laughs> I, I, I actually relate to that because even like sometimes at work someone asks you to do your job and you're like why are you talking to me yeah <laughs> you want me to do what you want me to do what what i'm paid to do where where do you get the authority where do you get off mister um but no i think that yeah primarily my uh my my biggest pet peeve is other human beings but as a gay my biggest pet peeve is other homosexuals that's a sick burn for the gays um but i feel like that is true of all gays i feel like all gays hate all other gays yeah it's like the it's like you know that that trope about like women women not helping women in the workplace uh, mm. that's just gays not helping gays within a broader cultural framework that is actually that's a really good comparison i think you know what? I think that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler need to say something about gays. And then Taylor Swift needs to say there's a special place in hell. There's a special place in hell for gays. For gays, period. For gay. <laughs> period. <laughs> Taylor <laughs> Swift's like sharp turnaround for, from the you need to calm down video to that. <laughs> I know. And then there's a special place for gays. And then there's a special place for gays who don't help other gays, which is like... It's probably actually a nicer place than the one just for gays. Because then at least you're like, hey, you know what? I'm doing what's biblically correct and saying, fuck you. I'm not going to help you. Um, <laughs> so I get the nicer spot in hell. But I do think that there's there's a lot of gays, whether or not they realize it, um, who are almost like pick me, you know, pick me gays. And if you, 
I mean, if you want to get like into queer theory and everything, there's always been the assimilationist versus the radical LGBTQs, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's the people who were ready to sit down and start doing, you know, the work that was achievable in the near future for for queer rights throughout the like the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, and then there's people who wanted to do things in a completely different way uh, and continue to like push back against the expectations of, of society. And I think that there's valid there's valid points to both. However, there is this attitude that's sort of prevailing in a lot of condo dwelling gays or like the, the privileged gays of big cities where they don't even have, I think, so much as a political point of view. They aren't assimil assimilationist gays in the sense that they want to achieve anything by acting or doing a certain way. They're the byproduct of assimilationist culture for gays. So they're people who want to act as straight as possible. They want to. They they only want to have the nice things. They look down at other people. Are we getting too political too fast? No. And this is this is perfect. <laughs> I was just thinking about how we were going to transition into this as our main topic, and it just happened without my knowledge. <laughs> I was like, I've been hoodwinked and bamboozled. But yes, guys, um, we're transitioning from your pet peeve, which was right. people, to the actual main topic, uh, which is very specific type of people, a.k.a. le gays. The gays, trademark. Trademark. Patent pending. But let's get back into it. Let's get back into the gays. Um... You said a lot. Break it down. Right. So the you know if you if you're thinking about the hurdles for queer queer rights um, throughout the 1970s, 1980s, and to a lesser extent the the 1990s. Mm. Um, but then again, in the early 2000s, there was always the people who who were closer to achieving their goals, whether that was because they were whiter, because they were richer, um, because they were this is more within, masculine. Within like the LGBT community. That's right. Yeah. And and when you and okay and back to rewind a bit when we talk about. Right now, in the 70s, you're talking about the broader LGBTQ community. Not well, just like, I, at not that just point, like it was definitely like the gay and lesbian movement, like yes. like sometimes featuring trans, but not really. Uh, and so I think that... It's like the, a silent feature. Right. Ghostwriter. Ghostwritten. <gasps> Ghostwritten. Trans people ghostwrote gay liberation. Well, part of the reason Trademark. why, uh, you know, trans people weren't a part of the... You know, we didn't have a, an alphabet mafia at that time was because they were further from that assimilationist idea where they, they were never going to easily fit into... Um, the same slots that a lot of the uh, more privileged upper class gay men could. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't even make sense to keep them, you know, to keep them around for these parts of the conversation. So those people who were closer towards um, what society viewed as normal, I'm doing air quotes there, as normal, they had a shorter walk to go to get what they needed to. And so for people who were like that now, they don't have any issues at all. And I don't want to put... So you mean like people who echo the, the people who back then were closer to the goal aka now they, 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 these white, are the gays who were who born on home plate, essentially yeah, yeah 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 and um and it's funny to think about that too because obviously there are there are still global struggles there are still even like regional uh places where you can look at within you know uh, ontario or you know southwestern ontario or canada or suburban new york or whatever it is where you can they would probably not do as well um as they currently are living in a condo in downtown toronto um but there's just something that's just so 
insidious about the the living way... in a condo. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, here, I don't know if, if he ever talks about where he records from, but we're it's, currently it's, in a condo. It's a, it's a condo, yes. Overlooking the beautiful. He's talking gardener. about me. Yeah. He's talking about me. I am the problem. But uh, but the condo gays, you know, th- these are people who like by by large do not experience the same uh, the same levels of persecution, the same levels of uh, you know um, of troubles that other people within the within the alphabet group do mm-hmm. and so they just they turn into almost like little tyrants or like little oppressors within the queer community that's interesting because there has been a hierarchy in the lgbtqia community for the clearly the longest time and before it wasn't that prominent because uh i guess maybe and correct me if i'm wrong i feel like in the mainstream people were still didn't know that much about um the gays i'm just gonna say the gays to encompass everyone so it's shorthand oh no now you're gonna piss off the trans you're gonna piss off the no you know queer uh, that's true but you know i'm the the, you know the the whole thing the community the gays (laughs) and um before people didn't know that much about it and now that people are kind of more in the world because we've everything's so much more mainstream and there's rupaul and there's everything it's become kind of like more clearer it's almost crystallized this hierarchy of who's most important and at the top in this like hierarchy of the gay community and if we want to talk about the lgbtq community that's a separate uh thing but within the gay community itself i.e cis men who are attracted to other men it's like white traditionally attractive guys at the top and then, I mean, I don't want to go through a hierarchy and create an well, impression. I think that's where, that's where it gets tricky, right? Because when you start to list off a hierarchy, then then who's second? Is it like, is it, uh, you know, um, BIPOC, traditionally attractive men, fit men? It, it or, kind is of, it, or is it people who are like white and less good looking? Or, you know, is, or is there, it is, is actually, it like, does it go on like someone's like weight? Or like, I think that there's a lot of different ways that you could shake it out. But I think that like there, there's something you were touching on, like the, the RuPaul's Drag Race of it all. And I think that for outsiders looking in, there might be a really simplified vision of what queer culture is. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a type of person who they they would agree with, you know, what, what a straight person might think, where, you know, they, they don't understand anything more about queer culture than like watching Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And then the condo gay agrees and says, yeah, that's about that's about my experience. That's about right. You know, and then I think for like anyone who's had any sort of actual real struggle with coming to terms with their identity or with, uh, you know, anyone else in their lives coming to terms with their identity or who's experienced like real homophobia, real transphobia, real violence, you know, real feelings of unsafety. They would be like, no, that's the cherry on the cake. You know, like there Mm -hmm. is there's so much more. There's so many layers of depth to a queer experience. And like the RuPaul's Drag Race is like. The, the sanitizing it in a sanitized sense. caricature of like one small aspect that just happens to be highly visible. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I would love for you to maybe define condo gay in one sentence so that we can continue using it so that I know what it means as well. Cause I'm like, I have a vague idea of what you mean well, by yeah, it. Yeah. I think I sort of like was, was beating around this before, but this is um, like a, a conventionally attractive, um, like financially well to do, um, gay man, um, and they live in a condo in a major urban center of a like a liberal area. So these would be the condo gays. You could find them in Toronto. You can find them in Chicago. Find them in New York. Find them in LA. And 
weirdly they don't exist with the same sense of self-importance or attitude in a lot of other like mid-sized cities um, as they do in toronto in you toronto mean? and vancouver in canada like you don't find the condo gays like you do in toronto and vancouver even montreal to a degree you don't find the condo gays like you do in the, in toronto and vancouver and elsewhere in the states too like uh like new york chicago la and then like maybe like houston um mm. and then the condo gays don't don't exist in the same way elsewhere because you don't have people who have that same ticket to entitlement through their finances or they don't have the ability to live in like literally live in a condo in the sky based on where they are and there's something about that equation about that type of person that just rots their personality this is what i wonder. <laughs> so i'm wondering this because this is like i think it's a really interesting because you've, you've you've met these people person. before have you not? i know i know who you're talking about but then so many of my i think you actually might have dated one <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, uh, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> okay, is that going to get edited out? That's going to get edited out, or it might stay in. I don't know who's listening. But I think the condo thing, I think, is a, like part of it. I know, I think maybe you're using the condo it, as a way to connote. There's something about the altitude that a homosexual <laughs> reaches. You literally think it's the altitude. I don't know. I am sitting above the city and looking down on you I, I honestly think that might have something to do with it. Like, no, for where, me, it's... Like, the action of looking out your window down onto the city below just... Fucks people's brains. It's some sort of, like, maybe lizard brain thing where you are literally <laughs> looking down on others and then, like, whatever, like, medieval king gene, recessive gene, gene in someone's uh, biology kicks into high gear and they start disrespecting other people based on their physical position in the air i think <laughs> i i can i think maybe i would buy into that that sounds like it may be viable but i also think that the condo thing might be a money thing because so the money and the condo are tied together yeah it's like the reason people have the condo is because they can afford the condo ergo they're of a certain class a certain financial status mm -hmm. and that creates the person and just because we live in a city and condos are more common therefore someone with money he's would making probably... an excuse for the condo he lives in i this is as is as known on this podcast i do not own this condo as sad as that that is um i wish i did but you know suffering and being a millennial good luck with that um but i think i know exactly the kind of person you're describing and frankly i think it's something it's a wealth thing it's an attractiveness thing and it's proximity to whiteness because i think when you say proximity to whiteness can you what does that mean i think the wider you are in the gay community if you're attractive the better because okay, if you if you hear me out, I had when I started doing like the ranking, the, the hierarchy of oppression in the gay community. Yeah, right. You you realize, wait a minute, no, I do I do believe that. I actually the, do believe that this is what it goes because, at least or at least in the to the point where you said that BIPOC people who are attractive, and. I was, that I was they positing buy, it as a possibility. Yeah, but I was like, actually, that is it. Because that's how you buy your way into, into this whiteness. Kind of, into, not into whiteness, but into like the muscly bosom of the gay community. Right. Is by being closer to an attraction level. Well, so I think that ultimately, it's not maybe whiteness at the top. I think it's attractiveness and tr conventional attractiveness. And with whiteness with, together. Like whiteness can be the supercharging of that. Yeah. Like, like, that's the steroid shot that you could put into that conventional attractiveness to make someone like a, like more likely to be a condo gay. Exactly. I think they're, I think whiteness is a bit above the attractiveness, but like they're very close together. It's, so if you're not white, you can buy your way in by becoming hot. 
we've we've talked about this before. I, like, I don't want to. This is not the hill that I will die on, and I don't know if it's necessarily my place to be talking at length about issues of race. But I do feel like I've been mean queened by people of various different backgrounds before, and like, it's, That's I fair. think that like when you started talking about levels of overall attractiveness and levels of wealth. I feel like based on my experiences with, you know, people in the broader gay community, those feel like stronger drivers in Toronto specifically. I, mm. I, I can't speak for, for other places, but I feel like maybe that's, you know, Toronto is an is a extremely multicultural place. I'm not saying that we've solved racism by any stretch, but I think that there are a lot of opportunities available for everyone in Canada, and that includes the opportunity to, to be an asshole. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> and. I, I do think there's definitely assholes no matter what race you are. There's definitely people who will create a community that is exclusionary. But I think when you start talking about condo gays, the people who came to my mind immediately are like waspy white gays who are who who you, who you would consider generically attractive in some way and who have this kind of like it's like a circuit party type of I'm going to take my shirt off and then I'm going to look at someone who's maybe um in my opinion overweight and look at them like ugh mm-hmm. like that's the kind of person I was picturing in my head like somebody who has like a a ready source for GHB and ketamine what's like- GHB it's uh, it's party drug. It's oh. also used for like sedating people for sexual assault, which is I think what more more straight Sweet people Jesus. would identify it with. But uh, for for gays at you know circuit parties, they take it in just the right amount, and they uh, oh my god, pretty well, hardy. Well, um, I mean that might explain the holes in the brain, <laughs> um, but that's kind of who I was picturing. I mean, yes, someone with the access to that and probably access to more like high end drugs. I don't know what a high end drug is. Cocaine. I think, yeah, I guess. But there's also something that's like really core to it is not having a strong personality because there are people yes. who there are people who can like I'm, I'm thinking of a few people who check all of those boxes like you know they're like very fit very good looking um like well to do good job you know mm-hmm. like if they're like white or whatever else that, that we're kind of like identifying as these factors that go into uh it's like someone being a condo gay but they work in a creative industry or they you know they paint as a hobby or they you know rescue kittens at an animal shelter and for some reason that takes them out of the that just takes them out of that headspace yeah and so i I think that like not having a strong personality not having a strong identity and or making your personality and identity that like being like i am the white hot gay right and and that being your entire your your entire existence. It's I think someone that's who where like the they, they sidle up to this existing uh, like archetype, and they're like, "Oh, this is who I am. I don't mm. have to do any work here. I don't have to dig. I don't have to scratch the surface on, uh, you know, understanding myself better. This already exists. This like uh, I can step into this cutout, and there we go." Yeah, that's for sure. One of the biggest things that you, if you don't think about it, you kind of miss, and you wonder why are these people so grating. This I, I'm thinking. I wonder how bitter this this, this podcast so is going to sound. Like the, 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 yeah, the, I fucking hate those people who are rich and handsome. <laughs> they suck. No, you know what? I love I love beautiful people. I think beautiful people deserve more than ugly people. It's true. I'm sorry. And, and well, <laughs> it, it looks like it's working, honestly. <laughs> and so it's your, your your wish may come true. <laughs> but but also, I want beautiful people to be nice and kind people. And I find that people who grow up with 
whether they're gay or not. And I think if you're beautiful and conventionally attractive from a very young age, you grow up having things a little come a little easier to you. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of don't need to develop a personality. And so whenever you find someone who's extremely attractive, but also like a very kind, loving and accepting person who doesn't just hang out with other attractive people, it's like, wow, this is, this is like a unicorn. This is an amazing person. I want this person in my life. But most of the time, unfortunately, you get people who just you know, that's their thing. It's like, my thing is being hot. I'm rewatching. <laughs> my I'm, thing is I'm, sound effects. I know. <laughs> you ever watch that PSA? No. No, it's from Concerned Children's Advertisers. Like, hey, what's your thing? My thing, sound effects. <laughs> and it's this queuing like a Tyrannosaurus Rex impression. Um, yeah, so like, my what's your thing? Being hot. Being hot and gay. <laughs> and power to you for being hot and gay. But I think... And being hot and gay? <laughs> double whammy. whoa but i think it's like you know get get a third thing <laughs> get a third thing <laughs> get a third thing because man cannot live by hotness and gayness alone you do, know do you think that like playing on like an intramural sports league would count as like a thing or what or like does it have to be those kind of like saving kittens so like painting? no I, I think that does count because i think um sports leagues um depends on what sport, but I think they're kind of an equalizer a little bit. So mm -hmm. you get to be exposed to different kinds of people. People who play on sports leagues, and I've, I know a lot of people who play on sports leagues, and then I see their teams, and I'm like, this team feels like well-rounded. But then sometimes you see people on uh, some kind of sports league, that's clearly just an excuse to hook up with other people. Right. And everyone there is like a certain type of person. Then you're like, that that's not doing, that's not your third thing. Mm-hmm. I dated this guy once who um, he played on the the gay rugby team, and uh, here in Toronto, yeah. And I always suspected that there was like a lot of hanky panky going on with the team. Uh, also, this guy did cheat on me on like several other occasions, so I think I had like a right to be a little bit like, yeah, hmm, I don't know about that. But um, from from what I've heard from other other people I know who play on like the queer sports leagues, that it's usually not a fuck fest. It's it's usually like it's a couple people who really care about the sport yeah. and then a bunch of people who want to make friends. Exactly. I think that's from my experience. Also, before I actually met people who play in sports leagues, I was like, it's clearly just to sleep with everyone. Like, why else? Because that's because that, that's what you would do. That's if what you joined. I would do. <laughs> sports league. But no, um, I think once you get in there, you're there to like do a thing. You're there to play sport. Mm -hmm. And my and now that I know more people who do it, it is actually like a very sports focused thing and a friend focused thing and you know what actually i want to talk about this there's this weird thing about gays in the gay community about can gays just be friends that's like it's like it's the it's, thing, like, it's, it's the like, the, pre it's like of, the premise of like what's the movie with katherine heigl and uh and the guy um um the guy who was in gladiator no that's russell crowe um, the guy James who's Marsden? 300, Gerard, Gerard Butler. And it's like the, the movie where it's like, can, can a man and a woman be friends? Just be friends. Like, I don't, I, well, I don't know. The, I, uh, actually, no, the answer isn't, I don't know. It's the answer is I don't care. And I, so with, <laughs> with gay, with gays though, 
the idea i like do you, you have gay friends we're friends no yeah we are but i think all all of my like i have lots of good straight friends but i also have like a very good circle of like some of my, my absolute best friends are gay that's true but and like we haven't done we haven't we've been slept together it's not like that that idea of like gays like trying out their friends by sleeping with them first like not not true a hundred percent i agree with that but then i know from all my friends and in some of my friends, a lot of people they know in the community are people they've either gone on a date with, hooked up, hooked with. up with, or like had a relationship with. A lot of times, not all the time, obviously, because like we're friends, we have done none of those things. But we I have a through, lot. We of, met through work. So. Yeah, we met through work. So work is the great dampener. Right. Like work is the boner killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I do, is the boner I do killer. think, yeah, like that, you know, that idea of like, uh, like, oh, a workplace affair, like they're going to go fuck in the coffee room or something. There is nothing less attractive to me. Like there, there is like the like like low the crater of horniness in my day are working hours. It is <laughs> from the moment I clock in to the moment I close my laptop. There is no no arousal whatsoever. Just like some form of like, oh fuck, another day. Like who's like, what is this bitch want to have a meeting with me? Like right. why is my inbox full? <laughs> no no thoughts of anything like even remotely erotic. And the people at work are generally like. Yeah, not that attractive because your your mind is skewed at work. At work, you're like someone who's a six on the outside is a ten at work. It's prison rules. We, it's, we yeah. talked about this. Yeah. yeah, it's like when you were locked in a prison, you have to just decide like these are the only people I will see for the next twenty five to life years of my life. Exactly, and, and so you like, have to make a determination. And work is like that. And like you can't you if they're if you wouldn't fuck them in a situation where they're not the only options, then you shouldn't fuck them. And you also just shouldn't fuck anyone at work. That's true. <laughs> it's like work is a Walmart discount bin it's you're gonna find a bunch of shit in there and you like people who end up sleeping with someone at work it's like hey i found the best thing in the bin but sweetie you were looking <laughs> you were looking through the bin to begin with like it's that's not actually i can think of i can actually think of two different couples that we've worked with who <laughs> met at work um let, uh, a little correction <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no th i mean that in the sense of to just like sleep with someone i know a lot of people who've met their lovers well long-term lovers aka husbands wives partners at work but for you to be hunting specifically at work as like a place like work is well, your they, dating they've pool done, they've done studies on this like I, I wish this ain't one of those research and podcasts for everyone at home listening like we did not come in with like charts and graphs and notes or anything we're just pulling facts out of our ass but they they have done research on this um like where it used to be like the primary places that you would meet someone were through a friend through school or work um or through like church or something like that and this mm. was in like the 80s and 90s Bring back the days where we used to meet people at church right i mean nowadays the number one place where anyone meets anyone i think it's true for straight it's true for true for gay is through online dating apps yeah and then weirdly the one where it's school or work it stays completely static and then the other two things have just kind of fallen off like no one's introducing people to their friends and no one's meeting at church but like the meeting meeting through work is kind of like the the place where a lot of people do end up meeting someone that they date so which is fair. So I, you you had just alienated so many listeners. No, li <laughs> the listeners know what I mean. <laughs> the listeners know what I mean. They're like looking it's, over at their their husband or wife and just be like, yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> we gotta we gotta stop listening to this fucking podcast <laughs> that we've never listened to before. Um, 
but I do, I still, I stand by my statement that if you go into work looking for a relationship at work, who is, who is doing that? Girl, you'd be surprised. I'm telling like, then, then you, then you're fucked up. You're, it's like someone getting their MRS degree, except it's just like the first 10 years of their career. Like, I can't wait to get married. We're millennials. <laughs> we don't have that privilege. No one is getting married and then just deleting themselves from the workforce. Right. I mean, back in the day, uh, women, you would get jobs and be like, go to university and you'll find a man. Yeah. And then once you find a man you don't have to work anymore there's a fantastic documentary about this called mona lisa smile with julia roberts (laughs) (laughs) i actually have never seen that movie i need to watch it oh it's really good for this time of year it's like very like fall christmasy in like a a new england campus yeah it's really good um i like a 90s fall movie i don't like the new ones the new ones are trying to recreate the magic that we had in the 90s like the the practical magic the practical magic we had (laughs) and they're falling on their asses um, but to get us back on topic for five seconds <laughs> with uh, with gays being f- uh, just friends. Yes, possible. But, you know, the more I ask people, which in just casual conversations, it seems like it's also like an option. There's always the option of like, oh, I think that there is this this thing. And maybe this is part of what I don't like about this type of condo gay either. But for most gay people, they have to do a serious amount of introspection. Um, like for, for them to come out, they have to kind of step away from the things that were expected of them, the kind of traditions and roles that are laid out from you know the moment you're mm-hmm. born. You take a step away from that and you really look deep into yourself and you determine who you are mm-hmm. and a lot of straight people don't do this like i'm sorry but they they don't and like the ones who do they don't do it at the same juncture in life that a lot of queer mm-hmm. people do which is when you're in your like mid-teens um and i think that having an understanding of who you are that way and what your wants and needs are does mean for a lot of queer people that they don't have necessarily the same hang-ups about sex that a lot of straight folks will. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that condo gays have hangups about sex. What I'm saying is that like they're in the, the age that we live in, you know, that level of privilege that comes from, uh, from attractiveness and wealth and all those other, all those other factors. Um, there's also a lack of introspection for some queer people. And that's what makes them feel so at odds with the community at large. Um, yeah. And they just, they don't really know themselves in the way that everyone else knows themselves. Yeah. And I find that really strange. You would think that queer people, just because of that process of one, you, for, for the most part, you grow up with a sense of being discriminated against. Whether or not you've had a great life and people have been nice to you in your own life, mm-hmm. you know on a grander scale you're not accepted. Well, you, tur- you turn on the news, the you know, yeah. like anytime between the year, like, uh, I guess na- now, like, now into forever. But like our, I was going to say in our formative years, um, we got to sit through um, like two elections where George Bush made uh, gay rights and queer rights um, a divisive issue to turn people against each other. And then we had the whole debate about gay marriage here. And then we got to sit through the whole debate around gay marriage in the States. So that was like pretty much our entire like teen and teens and 20s. Yeah. And especially for millennials, it's like we're coming up in this time where things are kind of, you know, there's been more change than at any other point in Mm -hmm. history. And so I would think to your point about queer people having to be more introspective, that that would lead to some kind of... Uh, higher thinking or more empathy or more acceptance even not only of 
people outside the community, but people within the community. Mm-hmm. So you think that, hey, once I come out and I'm, you know, gay, I'm a lesbian, I'm trans, I'm whatever, my community at the very least is going to accept me. And the fucked up thing is that, no, sweetie, it, <laughs> it might not. I'm sorry to say it might not accept you. It might, it might be like another hurdle to climb and i guess that's just natural like human nature to create like uh you know like always have an in and an out Mm -hmm. no matter what community you're in but i would think that especially in these times we would be more like you know attuned to the fact as queers there's like the yeah this idea too of the the most tyrannical gays are people who were on an out themselves for their formative years and then once they had an opportunity to be in, they just use that position to look down at other people, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore. I feel like the people who sit at the top of the pyramid are just people who don't identify with the broader queer community and therefore have like a level of disregard for them. So they could see, you know, um, debate rages over gay marriage in US in like the year 2015 on the TV and just think, hmm, sucks to be them. And, mm. like, not really put themselves in the shoes of the other and people is, who are, are literally exactly like them. Yeah. And yeah. this is queer people. It's like you're referring to these right. kind and of they're those people. assimilationist yeah. gays. Like, those are the same people who were saying things like, well, we don't need gay marriage. Why do we need something special for us? God, like, you know, what, like, what's your problem? Oh, my God. That, that argument, the special treatment, that drives me completely insane. It's once again goes back to the thing that everyone argues about, which we didn't really touch on when I talked to Steph about race, but this idea that equality feels like oppression to the people who have mm-hmm. the rights already. And that's the thing with like uh, straight people who are running the world. It's like, well, why do we need to give trans people like special treatment? Why do we need to, why should I refer to you with your chosen pronouns? Why do I need to give you special treatment? Why should I give gay people special treatment? Why can't they just like do something else and not call it marriage? And it's like, no, that's what equality is. Mm -hmm. And then to hear that coming from people within the community, which I have heard. And frankly, I will, I'm rather ashamed to admit before I didn't see the big deal about marriage as well. I was like, oh, well, like, but not in a sense of like, I don't think we should have it. I was always in a place where I'm like, I don't feel like it's a big deal. Like, why do you need to get married? And then I was like, it's, I what's think the it's, point? It's this attitude that a lot of people have where they don't necessarily want to cause trouble. And like, maybe that the, everyone tends to lean assimilationist, I think, when their back is up against the wall. Like, there's a lot of people, I just shouldn't say everyone, but like, I think the majority of people, when they're faced with, do you want to have like a, a long, enduring confrontation to get where you need to go? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to just kind of go with the flow? And I think there's a lot of people who would say, I want to go with the flow. There's also people who, you know, are like aggressively want to go with the flow and like and assimilate in. And I mm. think those people are um they definitely have a point of view, but uh like that is quite invalid. Yeah. To be fair. Because I think my perspective at that time, if I think about it, was I kind of didn't care about it because I didn't need it for myself, mm-hmm. which is a very selfish position to come from. It's like, I don't need it. Um, so why is it a big deal? And that is such to me now a hallmark of conservative thinking especially when it comes to rights it's like 
it doesn't affect me. I mean, that's why you I see could, people I could like, afford healthcare if I like. I don't need to go to the government. I could go buy a doctor's yeah. visit. So why should we have universal why healthcare? Why should I pay for your healthcare? And it's ha- literally happening now where politicians who suddenly get gay kids, they're like, oh well, now I'm you know my kid's gay, so I need to be supportive. Didn't work for Dick Cheney weirdly enough. He had a, a lesbian daughter. Dick Cheney didn't he shoot someone? Uh, or did he get shot? No, he shot someone. Well, and you know Pierre Polyev has a gay dad, eh? Uh, I just call that man Peter Pepper or whatever the fuck his <laughs> name is. I do not like that man. Peter Pepper, if you are listening... He's not. Drop the fuck out <laughs> of this race, you little piece of shit. He's the leader. I don't... It's not how that works, so... <laughs> I'm going to spam him with his podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah... And it was, to your point, in some cases, it just doesn't work. But it's it's such a it's such a me centric POV. To well, I have. think like when you when you look at those you know rednecks who uh, who's like why why do I gotta why do I gotta give special treatment for the they thems why do I gotta give special treatments for the BLMs it's like okay I get it you the want BLMs. the special treatment of being able to fuck your cousin like <laughs> <laughs> it's. Right, like, oh, they're the ones who are like legislating the age of consent lower and lower, or refusing to <laughs> raise it. They want to fuck their cousins. And- <laughs> Anton, just let them fuck their cousins. <laughs> and it's like you don't know what life's like on the bayou, okay? Uh, on um, our listeners in the bayou, once again, I would like to remind you that opinions of our guests do not reflect. The opinions no, it's, it's okay. I understand. I have a long piece of straw hanging out of my mouth right now, okay? <laughs> but Travis, you're as someone who grew up in the boonies. I don't remember. I know it was the it was somewhere outside of a city it's it is i grew up in a very small uh like rural rural farming community. yeah so yeah. you know the vibe and i'm sure your community is still quite conservative they actually are like uh weirdly enough like uh, my family doesn't live there anymore like my parents moved away around the time that i went off to university so uh my family just evacuated all at the same time but every once in a while like i have you know friends who i have a friend who grew up in the area who goes mm. and visits and i seen uh, like i'll look up in the news and see that they banned pride flags on um, public property through the mm. township. There was like a raging debate because this cafe, like the one cafe on Main Street, put a pride flag in their window. And how big the, was this pride flag? Uh, I, I don't think it was very Not large that it at matters. all. No, I I'm think, like, well, if it was big, maybe they were right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I don't even think it was. The, yeah, I don't even think it was the size of one of those ones that you could wrap around your neck as a cape. You know, it was probably like a sticker, and someone right. lost their and fucking minds. People were boycotting it, and like there was like a, in the regional news paper there was articles about it this was this was last year the this was last pride and the pride before uh, like uh the season of june that this mm-hmm. happened which is ridiculous that like that place was in you know it was in the 1950s when i lived there and they seem to have just caught up to the 1980s um that's progress uh that's yeah. 30 years over a span of 10 years <laughs> good yeah good progress <laughs> good progress um well, I was wondering because your um, spoiler alert, Travis is white, <coughs> and if you couldn't guess, very gay. Um, but Travis, you're also. May I talk about your partner indirectly? Uh, maybe vaguely. I just wanted to say you're dating a person of color. That's right. Yeah. So how has that been? And this is not your first like. This is not the first person of color you've dated or like met. No, that guy who cheated on me before who I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Was also and like there have been. I've I've had a, a, a you know a beautiful rainbow of people in my life over the years. And in <laughs> you you <laughs> emphasis on the in. Um, but what are you learning? I think this is like this is a serious relationship. Obviously, mm-hmm. do you guys have conversations about like what it's like for him to be a POC gay? 
Um, he, I know, is very committed to social justice and, and things related to uplifting BIPOC voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've had chats about the, you know, the dynamic in our relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also like um, it, it is like a, an interesting dynamic as well, because you, you mentioned me growing up in the middle of nowhere. And like when I was there, I experienced like extreme physical violence for being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, that there was, you know, like regular like hateful remarks like you know the kind of stuff like having um the word fag painted on my locker and like red blood like paint um and uh you know i won't go into too great of detail but like they're you know broken bones uh, that'll never be where they should have been because of the you know assaults that happen all, all related to my sexuality so i can say that like coming from from a place i have experienced a lot of the worst of the worst. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I, I'm not saying, you know, in the grand hierarchy, I sit here, but I, I do know that I've experienced a lot of negative stuff. Um, and I think what happens is when people start to get into these very strict rubrics of who has what experience and how valid that experience is over others, mm-hmm. it's a natural human inclination. Like we want to see patterns. We want to have order in things. We want to structure stuff in a way that makes sense. I don't know if you can do that in a way that makes sense because I can think of a lot of people who, you know, grew up in the the suburbs and had like nice, you know, like uh, like liberal, like educated teachers who, you know, they could go to and accepted them for who mm. they were or the opportunity to always hop on a streetcar and go to the village and be around people like you and not feel isolated. Mm. And I know that those are things that, you know, there's a lot of people who are living in rural communities now still don't get to do um and so there's always there's always going to be a you know a different way to structure that that hierarchy so i think in a sense i do agree with you that uh, it's not a blanket statement that applies cleanly and neatly to everyone like Mm -hmm. you can't we can't discount people's experiences i'm sure there's uh, you know, these condo gay guys who have gone through the same thing that you've been through, who perhaps been, you know, bullied, perhaps been physically assaulted. Are we coming back around on the condo gays? Are we forgiving the condo gays? No, this we don't forgive on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that there's people who like, you know, and there's obviously people who may be POC who have had not a weird uh, life where they're like, I feel discriminated against, I feel other, they feel very accepted, even though they're living with people who don't look like them. So I do think there's going to be instances for sure where the default kind of assumption, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes with my hands, doesn't apply. But I think on average, like if we're to average it out statistically, there's a reason that most uh, people like we're describing the quote unquote condo gays are white condo gays even though there are i'm sure other races like here i am sitting in a condo but Mm. (laughs) we've established that's not what that means just having a condo um but yeah i think the moral of my story and the gist of everything that i'm trying to say is that there's a theme but that theme doesn't neatly fit into every story or every story doesn't neatly fit into that theme oh it's like it's crazy are we seeing things with like shades of nuance <gasps> nuance in 2023 no <laughs> <laughs> throw it out <laughs> i don't like challenging conceptions oh my god as an aside when we put the gaze aside for a second and talk about nuance that that drives me insane because i feel like you and i were constantly having conversations where we'd be talking about how there's absolutely 
absolutely no fucking nuance in the discourse that you see online. Mm-hmm. Which online, to be fair, there's no room for nuance in the 140 characters. I would say I like I probably shouldn't admit this as a guest on this show, but I do think that you are maybe too willing to allow people to challenge your ideals sometimes. <laughs> like, there, like there is sometimes when I've really pushed the envelope and you've been like, yeah, I guess we don't know. Like, <laughs> no, but you know what? I think in, when I'm debating someone, when I'm having a conversation, I can argue to a point where I feel confident in my argument. And then when I stop feeling like I have the information to back myself up, I'll be like, okay, cool, I don't believe what you're saying is true, but I will give you room to say it. And perhaps it is true because I don't have the knowledge. So I also find it's easier for me to see the other person's perspective, even though I fundamentally disagree with them. Um, Well, I feel like that was a great conversation um, to be had. I don't think we resolved anything. Well, but I, I don't didn't think get to ask you to what, like, what's your biggest, what's your biggest foible with the, with the with the gay community or with the queer community at large? Oh wow, I've never the tables have been turned. Mm-hmm. How the turntables? <laughs> um, what's my biggest issue with the gay community at large? I think I've kind of discussed it. I've touched on it. Is the the idea that um. It's, it's very exclusionary. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, as a person of color, I think one of my biggest issues is the subconscious bias that people have against people of color that okay. presents itself within the gay community as well, where they may not be conscious of it. But I was just telling this to like a few friends before. You know how sometimes you like white uh, white people, maybe white gays in particular, because we're talking about white gay community, um, they're, all their friends are white. Mm-hmm. You see the photos, they post a photo. Oh, it's it's this this classic photo of like, they're either, they're on usually on like the front of a boat. Or and, by a pool. Yeah, or by a pool. <laughs> and it's just like a bunch of people lined up and like you can't distinguish who's who because exactly. it's just a bunch of white gays with abs in Speedos. Yes. And like it, it is really like that's that particular part of the summer. I cannot stand like opening Instagram because... <laughs> Why does every? Why are they all on boats? Like, what can anyone answer this for me? Like, why are there like like why are there eighteen gays on a boat together? Sink it. Gays can't drive. <laughs> Who the fuck is giving them keys to boats? No, babe. Tops can drive. <laughs> Bottoms can't drive. Um, but I. Oh, by the way, can I get my parking validated for being here? <laughs> yeah, I have the machine right here. Um, but it's it's just the idea that. There, it's people who hang out with people who look like them and don't see a, a problem with it. And to be fair, I don't think it's a problem, quote unquote. I think it's for a second you have to like come out of your head and be like, hmm, I wonder why all my friends look like photocopies of me. Mm-hmm. And there's like a token Asian and or black guy in the group as well. And no one does that introspection because I don't blame people for wanting to kind of stick to their kind in a sense like you you're especially if you've grown up in that environment you're naturally and intrinsically drawn to people who may like mirror you and your qualities but then in a broader sense that becomes problematic when you look at the world as it is because you're reinforcing so many like divisions and whether they're racial or whether they're like you know um sexual the way you identify uh but that was a great conversation great 
and it would be edited for clarity. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so we're going to take a quick little hot break and we will be right back. We are back. We're back. I want to do like an Oprah, we're back, but that's true. We're bad. back. Tom. Do, the, it doesn't really work in podcasts because the hands need, need to be hands, up. And, yeah. yeah. You need to do the whole thing. Um, but the last kind of thing I wanted to get to, I actually wanted to get to two things, but because, uh, you know, we're running out of time. The last thing I wanted to get to is uh, what I am tentatively calling our nostalgia corner. Ooh. You're a writer. You is, may be able is, to Is there going to be term. a sound effect for... Nostalgia Corner. Maybe we'll use that. That's a great little singing voice you have there. Um, but in this section, I love to ask, what do you want to bring back from your time as, you know, growing up as a millennial? What do you think should be brought back to now? So like that from when we were kids? From when we were kids, even like something very millennial-ish, like something that's very ingrained in your head as so, formative for you. Do you remember Nanopets or Tamagotchis? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I've been for, waiting for someone to say Tamagotchi. For some reason, <laughs> like I, I'm not sure how expensive these things were at the time, but we we weren't like my my siblings and I wanted, like there's a bunch of us, but so we wanted Tamagotchis because they were like the cool thing. And uh, my parents instead got like the uh, the discount it was called Raku Raku Dinocon or like a Dinky Dino I think is what they were <laughs> called in English but ours were they had the Japanese word on it and like when you played with them all of the all of the text was in Japanese <laughs> and oh like they, it must have been some like import store like whatever some store imported the wrong thing and they were like on discount and so my parents got the for us but I have gone looking on eBay to see about getting a Raku Raku Dinokan. Um, you don't want like a real Tamagotchi. You want that experience. I, I want, yeah. Like at the time I was like, oh, dinky dino. But now I, it was very special and I would like to get it. I wouldn't mind getting another one. Although I don't have, I don't have the time to care for a, a digital pet. I have a real living pet. Exactly. So. Yeah, you have a beautiful <laughs> Toby. Um, I miss those so much. And I think I thought that I'd be able to recreate the experience with like an app, but it's not the same. No. When it's too detailed and it's on your phone, I can't take things on my phone seriously because I'm like, this is not like my phone is not the device for taking care of a pet. It's my phone. Right. So for you to put like this a little. For, it's for reading the news and looking at pornography for God's sake. Exactly. Don't, I don't <laughs> want my pet messing with the porn. <laughs> they should not intersect. But I, I really do miss the little things because I got one in 1999 and I had it for like three months before I lost it, sadly. But I loved it. It was a little chicken. I loved it. I fed it. It was on a little keychain. Mm-hmm. I didn't have keys at the time because I was nine years old. But I really do miss those. Where do you think all the all the Tamagotchis are now that kids... That I think kids, you can still buy them. No, no, but I mean all the pets that died because they were put in a drawer and <gasps> forgotten about. Oh, is is there a, little, a Tamagotchi heaven? There's a little Tamagotchi heaven <laughs> where all your Tamagotchis grew up oh, and they're running around. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. <laughs> and you go and join them soon, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just like like oh, you know you're in heaven now here's your childhood dog oh it's so sweet here's all the tamagotchis you killed oh, oh. it's like right there with like and they like uh, with a baseball bat like i think yeah it's like ass. childhood dog oh you're a pet hamster from when you were a kid 
Oh, uh, your Tamagotchis. Oh, uh, no. Then no. It's just my my shame. <laughs> That's so sad. And your Tamagotchis are probably like, they were so excited to see you. And you're like, uh, I would. <laughs> oh, my God. I would so not. Stop giving them emotions. <laughs> they have emotions. They were so happy. Remember when you fed them and they'd be like joyous. And then you didn't feed them and they're sad. <laughs> it was just about life and death. It was about, you know, the true experience of being a living being. Mm-hmm. And that was very powerful. Any whore. That was a great conversation overall. Travis, is there anything you want to plug? Um, maybe your socials, maybe projects, maybe something else before we drop off? Drop off like this is a Zoom call. Um, no, nothing? Not your socials? Not nothing? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was really fun. Um, can we just do a little bit of quick ASMR before we... How's that sounding? A nice little ASMR goodbye, guys. Oh, we should record a nice little ASMR hello that you can use at the start. Oh, no. The start should always be loud. Oh, okay. Thank you. But I'm going to stop the ASMR now to say goodbye properly. Okay, you can cut all this out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, you guys. This was great. Um, Once again, uh, my name is Anton. Follow me on Instagram. It's Anton Tankovich. If you can't spell, that's your problem. And follow the podcast on Instagram, Millennial Yells at Cloud. And we will see you next time for another episode of this very... Um, insert adjective here podcast I